when we were there, like Ali remembers, um, it was it was a vibe. I almost feel like, and I know this might sound uh, sacrilegious, but I almost feel like the angels were there with me on that day. I do feel like there was something going on on that day, that something happened. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to the realest podcast in the dunya, the Three Muslims podcast. Today we're joined with a very special guest. I think this is the episode we've all been waiting for for a long time. We have with us Brother Muhammad Hijab. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Habibi, how are you doing today? Not bad, alhamdulillah. Not bad at all. How are you guys doing? Alhamdulillah. 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 So, um... We don't have too long, so we're going to start this off with a bang. Inshallah, we're going to do a quick fire Q&A. Yeah, let's make it happen, man. We're the background making some, some negative externalities, some noise pollution, some problems, some extraneous variables, some issues. Uh, it's the one and only uh, champ and, uh, and his friend. But uh, sorry if there's any, if, if there's any like, uh, noise in the background. There's nothing I can do about that. Alhamdulillah. All right, let's get on with this. So, is money more important or fame? Depends on what the objective is, really. I mean, if, if we've got to think about what the objective is. Mm. Everything must be thought of in line with uh, one's objectives. So, what what are the objectives that you have in mind? Mm, I meant that for a personal question for you. For me personally? Yeah. Well, you know, to be honest with you, like maybe about five or six years ago, Mm. I've never ever made dua for money in my life. I don't think I've ever made dua for it. Uh, I've never asked Allah for money. I don't. I, I, that's might be a come to as a surprise to some of you, but I've never actually done it. Um, I think there was a few times when I was in some financial problems, and I asked Allah to help me with that financial issue, but I didn't ask Allah for money directly. Mm. But one one dua I used to make probably about six years ago when I first started the the, the dawah was Allahumma anshu da'wati, which is that, may Allah spread my da'wah. That was mm. one du'a I used to make. Uh, and continue to make, actually, you know. And so it, for me, it was a matter of popularity, but not necessarily in and of itself. Because to be honest with you, in and of itself, it doesn't really provide much nourishment. Mm. Uh, it doesn't really give you anything. It doesn't improve, yeah. one's quality, doesn't improve one's quality of life. I don't think it does at all, to be honest. Um, there's a famous, a famous discussion with Russell Brand and Jeremy Paxman, yeah, where Jeremy Paxman asks Russell Brand this very question. And then Russell Brand, he comes, he turns around and he says like, he gives a very nice analogy. He says like fame is like a meal, which uh, when one eats it, it kind of is um, bland or is, it's not nourishing or it doesn't, mm. it's not satiating and so on and so forth. And so from that perspective, you know, I think I would agree with that kind of thing. Fame in and of itself can be, can, to be honest with you, sometimes an inconvenience, you know, because uh, mm. you don't know who's looking at you and or, and who thinks what of you. And, you know, sometimes you can be with your family, you can be here or there, you can be, and it can, it can sometimes be an inconvenience. And so in and of itself, it's, I don't think it's um, that valuable to me. It hasn't really increased my quality of life like that. Mm. It has opened up things in terms of opportunity, you know, Hmm. I'm not. I'm not speaking as as a very famous person. If we're talking about very famous people. We've got the the one and only right here, Ali Dawa hmm. next to me. If you want to take a look at him? This is the famous one. This is the champ. I'm the famous one. <laughs> <laughs> look how look look how good he's looking with that jacket that he got from Oxfam <laughs> and that nice uh, skin fade. Yeah, you know, <laughs> this kind of thing. <laughs> All right, next question. What was your most memorable or favorite debate that you've been in thus far? Undoubtedly, the David Wood debate. There okay. was something about that debate when we were there, like Ali remembers. Um, it was it was a vibe. I almost feel like, and I know this might sound uh, sacrilegious, 
But I almost feel like the angels were there with me on that day. I do feel mm. like there was something going on on that day, that something happened. People don't realize that actually with David Wood, I was introduced to his material when I was like 15 or 16 years old. Yeah, I was. I remember watching it. And sometimes I watch a video, him and his friend. I'm not going to mention his name because he's not that well known. And I don't want to give him any um, popularity here. But I, I watched it when I was in year 10, which is like when I was 15 or 14, 15. And I can remember watching those videos and getting so angry, literally physically angry. And mm. um, I, I vouched uh, that one day I will be responding to him from that time. And I actually sent him an email, probably when I was in my early 20s. He didn't even respond to it. Maybe my teens or early 20s or something like that, asking mm. to debate him. So that day was a culmination of emotions and anger that I had from my teenage years. You know, and so for that, I think from that angle, it was very sincere because I actually wanted to prove him wrong, to show that why he was wrong and all these kinds of things. And from that perspective, I think Allah, he put the barakah in it. He put like the blessings in it. He put, he sent down maybe the angels, Allahu alam. But it was uh, definitely something which was, uh, is haunting him until this day. You can see he's making <laughs> videos about me until now. I mean, I think just two days ago, he made a video about me. I mean, this is a real desperation. And so... Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. I think I was very young at that time, 25 or something years old, you know, mm. when I done that debate. But it was just an uphill trajectory after that. And there's mm. something about a, a debate with that many people, you know, uh, and there's something about the New York audience as well. And Philadelphia, people coming from Philadelphia and people coming from nearby areas, New Jersey and, and so on. That really was on it. It was, it, it made the night. It was a good vibe. And so there's nothing, there's nothing that I think that has thus far compared with that at all by far yeah alright next question in a fight between you and a grizzly bear who would win and why is it you if I had I'd shoot him the thing is the grizzly bear I did look at the, how to defeat a grizzly bear in a fight a grizzly bear is very difficult there are three kinds of bear I think there's one of them where you can fight and beat I, I can't remember which one it is is it, is it the blue bear or there are three the of them bear. You, the black bear right I think I could, I don't know, but I think I could do something with a black bear, whatever that, that bear that's almost my size. I think it has been beaten, defeated by humans in the past. And I wouldn't mm. put it past myself to be able to give it, give that bear the decisive blow. But if it was a grizzly bear, what I would do is I would lay on the floor like a log, put, cover my essential areas, that, like just as it says on the videos. Mm. And um, if you know, if you're in America, you know, you can't really have any chance with a grizzly bear. You have no chance with a grizzly bear. The grizzly bear is the one that's undefeated, undisputed, you know, is, 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 so you have to put yourself on the floor and cover your vital areas like this and put your head down and pretend, it, uh, pretend, play dead, basically. But if it was, was it the black bear, you said, or the black, I can't remember what it's called. Black bear, yeah. Black bear, yeah. yeah, that one you can fight, I think, but I would only do that as a, as a last resort. And if I had a head. That's funny. As, as we go on with these questions, you're going to break a few more hearts with, with every question that goes by. So I hope you're ready for that. Next question is Mundi or Biryani? Which one? Mundi or Biryani? It's Mundi. Which one Biryani is that one? Come on. Uh, oh, are you talking about the Arabic one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Emirati one. Uh, okay, that's a good one. No, no, I, to be honest, as a whole, I prefer Asian food. It's my favorite food, like mm. Asian cuisine. Biryani is not my favorite type of uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> Biryani is not my favorite type of uh, Indian food, but I would go for biryani, yes. Okay, next one is Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi Max, the one with the cherry is good because it's good tasting and it's zero calories. All right, who's a better cook, your wife or your mom? My mom, no doubt about it. Undisputed, undefeated. Oof. All right, yeah. top three places you visited. Huh? Top three places that you visited. Uh, so, uh, Mecca uh, is number one. Okay, Medina is number two, and after that is my country, Egypt, and uh, I would say my city, Alexandria. Alhamdulillah. All right. Do you have, and I hope Ali Dawa hears this, do you have any exclusive update on the marriage documentary? I do. I do have that. But I'm not going to tell them because this is something that you're going to have to pay me money for. You know, because right, I, right. I don't have money, but I ask the people for it. Allah, you better All right, next question. Are there any debates that you kind of regret doing now? No, not at all. Okay. okay. Last question. Are there any projects that you're currently working on that you're very excited that's coming up? Uh, obviously, I just I recorded the thing with Hersey, uh, uh, Ayan Magan, her real name. 
and that's going to come out on the 1st of March. So I think that's going to be quite exciting because the way I... I mean, I don't know. I mean, the guys were here to see it. But the way I kind of laid the smack down on that, on that woman was, I think, something which uh, people would like to see. Alhamdulillah. All right, Rami, I have a question from you guys. Alhamdulillah. You have anything? Rami, Rami, go ahead first. Go ahead. So when it came to the Jordan Peterson discussion, I think so it was that again? When, it come, when it comes to the Jordan Peterson discussion, right? Yeah. How well received do you think it was by him and by the audience? It was one of the most well received things. I probably think it was the most well received things I've done. Wow. Especially with non Muslims. Uh, I think the amount of. Um, with him, I mean, as you saw in that particular thing, it was well received with him, and I've built a relationship with him, I hope. Because uh, the thing is with, with, with Peterson, I think he appreciates disagreeableness. I mean, he says it himself. People that, you know, make it in life are those who are disagree. And people that are yes-men around him, I don't think he respects that too much. So the fact that I wasn't afraid in my public discourses to show my disagreement with him, but at the same time, try and show him respect and not be antagonistic to him or provocative to him or disrespectful to his placement, that was a very, very hard thing to do. Because mm -hmm. it's easier to kind of let your punches go, if you like, you're doing one thing you don't have to moderate yourself you don't have to mitigate your own responses but with peterson it was difficult because i had to make sure that i played the fight i held the stick by the middle and so i felt like um, in many ways the fact that i was restraining myself from from being um overly brash or all of the other kind of i would say vices that i have typically in my personality structure i was trying to restrain them i think from that angle it was good because it allowed me to work on my weaknesses more than accentuate my strengths. And so anything that allows you to work on your weaknesses rather than accentuate your strengths, I think is a golden opportunity and one that will build your character. So from that angle, I think it, it, it was good for me and hopefully it was good for him as well. And it's been viewed by almost 2 million people now. So the time is pretty good. And it's one of the most, I think, if not the most commented on video on his channel than his entire channel. So uh, there's a lot of engagement. I think it was positive. And the aim of the game really is to get, is to make the environment a more tolerable one for the Muslim community in the West and to build bridges of communication and understanding. And I think that those objectives were met. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Especially from what I've seen as well. I think, alhamdulillah, it was very well received. So when it comes to Jordan Peterson, how is he off the camera compared to on the camera? Is there any difference? I think he's, you know, I think he's a pretty authentic guy, to be honest with you. I think I do actually think he's an authentic guy. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I haven't really spoken to him too much off the camera to, to be able to make an informed judgment about him. Especially from our paradigm, we have to kind of like be with the person a lot, travel with them, do business with them, that kind of thing, before we can actually make a judgment on the character. But mm -hmm. we can give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think that really Islam is starting to make sense for him. I hope it's going to start making more sense for him as the time goes on because it's everything that he wants from an ideology or from an idea or from a way of life. It's everything that he's been speaking about, all the diagnoses that he's had of uh, gender relations in the West is a lot of it. I'm not going to say all of it, but much of it is in line with the Islamic discourse. So mm -hmm. I think that he can, and obviously his anti-nihilist discourses and, uh, and so on and so forth, a lot of it is commensurate with Islam. So yeah. I hope that I hope that he looks into that properly and and he gives it a chance. And I think that he is courageous enough. I do believe he's courageous enough if he does believe in Islam to announce that and to make that public. Because to be honest with you, like, you know, for him to have me on his podcast, knowing what kind of a personality I am, uh, and he did know what kind of things I did in the past and whatever, I think is a show of bravery. I think it's a show of courage. And I think it will be equally a show of courage, if not more so, if he was to convert to Islam, it would probably be one of the biggest conversions uh, of the 21st century. And so if we can in any way be a facility of that or facilitate that, then that would be amazing. Yeah, 100%. I think a big reason why a lot of like the, the Muslim audience uh, that he has likes him so much is because of the agreement between what he you know preaches a lot and our Islamic values. So inshallah, you know, may Allah grant um, you know the Muslims many more conversations with them and guidance Islam. Allahumma amin. Like so, with that being said, what are your goals in terms of dawah for the next five years? 
Well, I'm, what I want to do is I want to complete uh, my PhD. I want to um, also, um, that's, so I've got, I, I divide my goals into different types in life and also in dawah. So I divide them from uh, my own perspective, uh, individual goals and then family goals and then community goals. And I would say all three are inextricably linked to one another. And within my kind of own development, I have the tripartite classification, mind, body, and the spirit. So what you're describing here goes into the mind, if you like, and goes into the community aspect of my objective. So there's two types of objectives we're talking about here. And as I say, they're, they're inextricably linked. So obviously, my Dawa goals and my kind of development or personal development goals are inextricably linked. So one of the things I want to do is I want to complete my academic work on the contingency argument uh, for God's existence, for God's existence, I've already produced a few booklets on that. I want to produce more work on that because, as Bruce Lee said, you know, a man that he 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 practices a thousand kicks is not as feared as a man. He wouldn't fear him as much as a man who practices one kick ten thousand times. Because if you an argument, a good argument is like a sharp knife. If you have all you need is a few good arguments to that you are really, really good at in order to, to really create damage and to change a social uh, understanding. And, I, and I'm a believer of that. Uh, and you see this in martial arts. You see people having two or three moves, you know, and they, they go through an entire career, um, you know, with, with those moves. You know, obviously you have to set them up. You have to do all those things. But Really, you can be a specialist on a move and that can produce your entire career. So I believe in the same thing when it comes to Dawah. Two or three arguments, two or three areas of specialism, really focus on them. So the contingency argument being one of them. And a few other things which I, maybe I'm not going to disclose straight away because I don't want people to be working with me in tandem, trying to catch up with me on those issues. Uh, I'm a big believer of, uh, you know, work in silence, work in silence and let, you know, your actions do yeah, uh, the talking. But after those kind of five years, that's the academic side, as well as like Islamic sciences, which I'm continuing to study. I believe in a five to one ratio, meaning that what for every five say hours that I do, one hour I do of uh, dawah, I have to have five at least five times the amount of uh, input, which means like people teaching me, me going through work. I believe in that kind of ratio because otherwise. What advantage do I have over the lay people? You know, what really do I have to offer? So I believe in the five, the five to one ratio. And that means to say that the Islamic sciences is something I also wish, wish to strengthen for the next five years. Uh, as, as a general, what, what is referred to as tafsil ilmi. I want to really develop all of my funun or the Islamic sciences for each, really develop each one of them properly. So that when I'm, you know, uh, 35 years old, I can I could be really solid from that from that angle as well, and also I want to develop my. So that's it in terms of uh, my own personal development. In terms of the dawah, uh, I'm I'm thinking of we're thinking collectively really to obviously continue the work that we're doing in the Sapiens Institute, which is very important. Uh, if you don't know already, we've got an institute called the Sapiens Institute, where in which we do like work. Um, we've we've got like a syllabus now, which we're hoping to develop into a three-year syllabus. Almost, almost degree style. We've uh, we've already gone through about eight months of something called the London Year, which has been made into um, a poem. Um, so that we want to develop people, bro. It's because doing debates and these kind of things are important, but developing people is more important. And I came to this conclusion more acutely, I think, when I had uh, the pulmonary embolism. I had a pulmonary embolism, like blood clots in the lung. And, uh, you know, the doctors were telling me that you have a, ch a chance of mortality, and they were being very open about that and honest. And at that point, I thought, well, I need to leave, be able to leave something behind more than just debates and booklets here and there and, you know, some stuff on the Internet. In other words, I need to leave people behind that are developed themselves and that they can carry on the torch. So a lot of what we're doing is we're doing like personal development with very small groups. We're spending a lot of our time doing that. And we want to continue doing that such that in two, three years time, we have people who have their own areas of specialism and who can contribute to the DAO. And finally, I we want to get into like more the, the industry, the video industry, like uh, produce uh, productions and movies and stuff like that, short movies. And we are, we are having discussions and playing around with this idea 
But I think it requires a lot more creative input. And we're trying to create, you know, uh, more and more people. And obviously, I think the first uh, thing that we're going to have is the marriage documentary. So we'll see what that's going to do as well. Because that's going to be the first of many. I have to say that for Ali Dawah. That and many other stuff as well. Many other things. Inshallah, inshallah, ya Rab. Subhanallah. You know, this is something that I think really it does lack in the Muslim community, the idea of producing leaders, because we already have a lot of people that learn a watered-down version of, of the deen, unfortunately. So to now produce people that actually understand the deen and how it ought to be understood in, in the sense that we, it is to be taught, it is to be understood as the way of life, not just a way of life. And, you know, to produce those leaders that can produce more leaders, Allah is, I think, really, really essential. So may Allah and allow uh, that to flourish. Allahumma ameen. Ameen. The, uh, the last question I have before I pass it on to uh, one of the brothers. My question um, is in regards to not so much your specific academic career and the PhD you're pursuing, but more generally, what do you think the benefit is in pursuing the, these, these credentials? Do you think that the knowledge is what's essential. Do you think having the credentials is really important to establish that kind of authority? I think a bit of both, you know, honestly, like, you know, when I first got in contact with Jordan Peterson, I did so with the University of Oxford email. I think that made a difference, you know, like if I were to get in contact with him with a Gmail, I think it would make it like, and the fact that he knew that I was credentialed in all those aspects, it does make a difference. It puts you in a position of leverage against people, especially like non-Muslim people that are attacking Islam. There's undoubtedly that. But also, uh, there is the knowledge aspect as well. Like, do you know what I mean? So when um, or when I'm learning, or especially Islamic knowledge, I feel like if you have deadlines in place, if you have deadlines in place and you have to do like essays or exams and stuff, you, you will invariably do more work than otherwise. If you, have, if you are a casual reader and you're not really self-motivated, then putting yourself, enrolling yourself into courses and structures is one of the best ways to enthuse yourself and to maintain a level of consistency, you know, maintain consistency over a span of time. Uh, and so from that angle, I think if, if you if you choose a good course that has actually got a good output potential, then being in, enrolled in courses, I don't think it was, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's never a waste of money to invest in education. I don't believe in that. I believe that if you have money, invest it in education. That's the best thing you can invest it in. There's nothing better that you can invest it in than education. As Shafi himself, he said that he put half of his wealth into the study of the Arabic language. Half of his wealth. Now, we don't imagine that, how, how much money he must have had. And he put it into it. And he said, if I had, the, if I, if I would have, I would have put the entire sum into the Arabic language because he saw the value of knowledge. And so two things, it does give you leverage in an environment where the pen has become the substitute for the sword. And number two, it does allow you to be able to be more productive in, an, in such an environment. And also, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and also uh, meet deadlines and um, and leverage your opponents. Mm. Mm. So to write off that, that last question, bro, there's a lot of people who would look at you as like an intellectual academic type person. Yeah. So how would someone who's not an intellectual, who's not an academic um I just acquire this knowledge besides the consistency aspect. Look, we go back to the, the first stage. What you do should always be in line with the objective you choose for yourself. So for me, what I'm doing is I'm a polemic. I'm, they, they, you know, they call it also an apologist, someone who justifies uh, some, a controversial, that's what the word apologist means, someone who justifies a controversial idea. In this case, Islam being the controversial idea. Those things require what I've just mentioned. And there's almost no substitute for them. If you want to do them at the highest level, I think that's what they require. But if that's not what you want to be, and you want to be something else, then you have to think about, all right, so what the first question that you have to ask yourself is what is it that you actually want to contribute? And not only what is it that you want to contribute, what is it that is most, what, what is it that you can most effectively contribute? And then as Nietzsche said, if you have a why, then almost any how is possible. You know, when you have that why and you clearly define it, then you work backwards from it. Like for me, if I were to show you, or if I could show you something, yeah. I have, uh, I carry this kind of like bag, yeah. Look, this is a bag I carry everywhere. You see it? Yeah. Well, I have this bag. So anyway, I, I have these little, I prefer, I still write, like writing things in it. So 
Can you see this little diary notepad? I got this mm-hmm. from Twinkle Paper Chase. What I do in my personal life, I've been doing it since the age of 17 and now I'm 30. So I've been doing this for 13 years. And I like it, which is basically, look, bro, like, okay. So I've got categories. I'm not sure if you can see what I'm doing here. Can you see it? Now, can yeah, you see yeah. the tallies in that, yeah? Yeah. So yeah. what I've got is I've got rows and columns. And I, I, I think to myself on a weekly basis, what are the things? I've got 168 hours in a week, yeah? So I've got 168 hours in a week. And I think to myself in a weekly basis, what do I need to do? So I've got columns. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but there's a lot of columns, yeah? But I think that they're the most important things that, not just for me, because that's a very selfish way of thinking, but for me and my family, which I feel like I need to be outputting or inputting, okay? Whether it's going to the gym, whether it's doing some studies with my kids or taking them swimming or whatever I do with the kids or or myself or, you know, uh, what studies I, I invest in, I track it down and I literally see my productivity levels on a week-to-week basis. I've been doing this for 13 years, so I see now... <laughs> What works, what doesn't work. In exam periods or whatever it is, I've been seeing how I can manage my emotions, manage my my um, my productivity levels. You know, you start getting to know yourself more when you start writing things down. That's something I've seen. But if you leave yourself to just do whatever you need to do, and, you know, you're, you've got a very loose – the looser your program, the looser your results, you know, that's the reality of the situation. If you leave yourself and you don't put things down, you don't write things down, you don't bar chart things. I used to put things in bar charts and, 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 and you know, these kind of things where you see it, like, this is your productivity level. I, the more you write, the more you know about yourself, yeah, the more you can get things right. So in five years, you'll be very shocked and surprised the extent to which you can completely transform your skill set in any given field in three to five years. You can literally go from novice to pro in five years in almost any given skill set, but you need to be able to work backwards. I've been doing that for the last, I'd say, 13 to 15 years. So I feel like, you know, if if one invests their time in, in really detailing in their lives what they want to do, then that's the first thing. So you need to ask yourself, what do you actually want to achieve? And you got to ask yourself, go back to the tripartite classification, you know, the mind, the body, and the spirit. Okay, so what do you want to achieve from the mind perspective, the spirit perspective, and the body perspective? What do you want to achieve for yourself? What do you want to achieve for your family members? What do you want to achieve from your community or for your community? Once you've understood all of that, then you can work in, in line with that. That's why I think yeah, it has to be done. But also, I would, I would add one more thing to this. The Quran says something really powerful. It says, Everyone should work on their form. Okay. Like everyone has something that they are have been given. Another verse in Surah Nisa. Do not wish what Allah has given some of you that he hasn't given others. And in fact, this is a gender discussion because for men is a portion of what they have earned and for women is a portion of what they have earned. And ask Allah from his favors. But the point is, is that you need to see not just what you're good at, Sorry, not just what you want to do, but what you're actually good at as well. Like, for example, all of you guys, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm moving my head. All of you guys can speak the English language. Now, you can speak the English language with not just any accent, but you can speak the English language with an American accent. Now, you might think that's a trivial uh, thing, but let me tell you something, right? Having the American accent English speaking language puts you in the fifth, 95th percentile in the world's population of being able to speak English, not just english language but you can speak it in a in a accent that many people would love to have now that you might think that's something uh, negligible or, or uh, sorry trivial but it's not actually trivial because it allows you to do things which maybe 95 percent of other people would not be able to do for example having this channel so you need to be able to make a proper critical self-assessment on your actual strengths and you need to start thinking about things which you maybe take for granted you know, and when, once you understand what your strengths are, then it's better and easier to build on them. You know, and I feel like if we build on our strengths and work on our weaknesses, but really do accentuate our strengths, that can put us on the next level and that can that puts us in a better position to be able to leave like a proper fingerprint, uh, you know, on, on world's history. But that's, that's basically how I put it. You need to think about in some, therefore, you need to think about what you want to contribute to the world and then you need to work backwards, and you need to work backwards on a day-to-day basis. 
عمر بن الخطاب said حاسبوا أنفسكم قبل قبل أن تحاسبوا hold yourselves to account before you are held to account this is a very powerful thing uh, see, if you hold yourself to account by how much you spend how much you eat you know I've started doing this thing on my fitness power I'm not sure if you guys know you, I'm sure you guys know this uh, this uh, this app I, I was shocked to know how many calories I consume on a daily basis about 4,000 you know so I realized okay if I yeah, and it said you know it's funny enough it told me if you want to lose weight you can you, you can eat 3,500 calories one half a kilo a week which is like what well, I don't know like a pound or something a week more than a pound I, so if I anyway just know what you what's coming into your body what's coming into your soul what's coming what you are consuming and what you are outputting and hold yourself to account on that basis I think there's another thing too it's it's the perseverance aspect too like we're more willing to stick through with things that we set out with an intention it's impossible to have empathy for others if you're not patient so my love bless you for that first of all i agree with the fact that the whole thing you said about friends where it's like if, if they're affecting you more than you're affecting them then you should probably get some new friends you want to be investing stocks shares bonds you want to be investing in crypto because there's this thing called inflation which means every year that passes by the value of a dollar goes lower and lower and lower and the reason being is because they're printing more money right that's why money is haram at least the paper money is haram provided that you're actually there and you're being a good father and the mother's being a good mother best conditions and behind the mic Hamza, Andreas, Zortzis, we will go in with our final three with Brother Angel, inshallah. It's not just a responsibility on you, it's a responsibility on all the children, especially your father. In our private area is very elastic and yeah, if you go too fast, the skin will literally crease up into like the edge of like the little clipper things and you will literally clip your skin. You don't want to be on youtube or the internet or anything that that amount of time but it's it's the the fact is that's what we're doing that's what's up man it reminds me a lot of uh you know who jaco willink is Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got yeah. a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he had said something along the lines of like discipline equals freedom. And what you just said, it just kind of highlighted that where you're writing everything down and you're holding yourself accountable and seeing the progress that's being made, therefore allowing you to reverse engineer everything and get the results that you're looking for. Yeah, it's like so, the old sport says, you know, it says that you've got two pains, either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And most mm -hmm. people unfortunately they they opt for the second unknowingly, unwittingly, or otherwise, you know, uh, unpreferably. Uh, and uh, what I'm saying is that this is something that we can actually make a choice for today. And and the I feel like if it were, if you don't have a solid a solid plan, if you don't if you don't uh, plan to if you fail to plan, plan to fail basically. If you fail to plan, plan to fail. You will be in a position where you you will not. You will not achieve what you want to achieve. You will have a crisis maybe in your mid-30s or 40s. You, you, you will not feel as if you've done what you could do. The, the Islam make, gives such, you know, it has such an emphasis on time. That by time, that surely, you know, human being is in a state of loss. Except for those who do good works and you know, um, believe and do good works. And they exhort one another the truth and they exhort one another to patience. Hassan al-Basri, who is one of the tabi'in, he said that we are all, it's very interesting what he said. He, he said that we are all days and every day we lose a part of ourselves. Yeah, we are basically all days and every day we lose a part of ourselves. We're like snow, walking snowmen. We're melting away. We're melting away. So we only have a very limited time to get done what we need to get done. And so if once one has that kind of like, quite frankly, the, um, the, imp the, the, the that imp impetus, that kind of um, urgency narrative, I feel like that, that, that's the beginning of success. That is the very beginning of success. MashaAllah. Mm. So with that being said, man, what does a day look like for you? What does a day look like for me? 
Yeah. I mean, you yeah, got that so little notebook, you write everything down. Yeah, so it depends on the day, but uh, largely speaking, there are things that I do on a day-to-day basis which are the same. Uh, some of them I can't mention, no, I'm only joking. So, that's, so basically the things that I do, that I try and, and, and do, I try and, because uh, well, I had the pulmonary embolism, okay, I couldn't do martial arts and still basically cannot do any heavy martial arts for some time, right? So that's one thing that I'm going to come, inshallah, back into. You know, I think uh, next week or the week after, because I'm on blood thinners, so I need to get off those blood thinners to get, but basically I used to do a lot of martial arts. But the, the point is, is um, on, a day, on, on a day-to-day basis, these are the things that I have to do. Number one, I have to do Quran. I have to do Askar Sabah al Masa. So before, I think at my height, I had a, a, a daily plan of doing one hour and a half of Quran, either Hifdhul Murajat, which is basically going on. And basically, this is the most important thing. If you don't have Quran in your day to day, I think, life, then quite frankly, you're not following the Sunnah. You cannot really be a da'iyah because what, what are you going to give the people? You know, the Prophet he said, the best of you are those who learn the Quran and teach it. The Quran itself say, states that, we have made the Quran easy for remembrance. So who's going to come and remember it? Allah has made it easy. Do you know, it's one of one of the, 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 the things which Allah has actually made so easy for the people is Quran, to memorize it, the Quran, to understand it. To Ibn uh, or something like that, that basically doing it with tajweed and he says that some people that don't do Quran with tajweed is a sinner Ibn al-Jazid one of the greatest scholars and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said on this matter he says al-mahiru bil-Quran ma'as-safarati al-kiram al-barara wal-ladhi yata-ta'ta'a fee wa huwa alayhi shaq falahu ajran that the one who is proficient with the Quran is with the high and lofty angels and the one who finds it difficult listen to this one the one who finds it difficult and he, he is yani, to pronounce the words and so on, he gets two rewards. That person gets two rewards. And the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith, that he said, لا أقول ألف لا ميم حرف. He says, I don't say ألف لا ميم is one حرف. ولكن ألف حرف ولا من حرف وميم حرف وللحسنة عشرة أمثالها. That ألف is a حرف one letter and لا is a حرف one letter and ميم is a حرف one letter and for each letter, is 10 rewards. Now, we know there's 77,000 words in the Quran. And of them, probably the, the average amount of uh, letters is five to seven. Let's say seven. So 77,000 times, uh, times seven, let's just say seven times seven, which is, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, 49, so that's a what? 49, uh, four, four, nine, four million nine hundred thousand, something like that. Rewards, like five million rewards from reading the Quran one time. There's, I, I seldomly can see or think of a, a thing that you can do on your day-to-day basis, which can be more rewardable, which can be more psychologically nourishing, which can be more healing, because the Qur'an is shifa, than reading the Qur'an. The days that I don't read the Qur'an, I feel down. I feel like as if uh, something bad has happened to me, something uh, sad. I feel like I've wasted my time. Sometimes I, I read other books. And, uh, and those other books, I feel sometimes uh, sad because I'm thinking, why am I reading this Kalam al-Bashar, the human being's words, then uh, rather than the Kalam of the human beings? I've been to four universities in my life, you know? And as I sometimes, some people think, oh, you've learned so much from the university. Wallahi, sometimes because I memorize about 95% of the Quran in my car. People don't know this. In my car, driving to places because I couldn't do everything at one time. So I have sometimes learned more driving to universities than inside the university itself. Because when I'm driving to the university, I'm reading the Quran. But when I'm going in there, I'm listening to a white man speak about liberalism, whatever it is. And whatever he has to say is nothing better than what I have read when I was coming on the way. So as I say, reading the Quran, if you don't put the Quran as a centerpiece of your life, then there's no tamiz, there's no difference between you and everybody else uh, that is basically in in society. You have nothing to offer. It is the illumination. It is the uh, centerpiece of the Islamic faith. 
So Quran. The second thing is Askar Sabah al as I've mentioned, which is you can you can listen to it now. You don't even I've got it on my channel as well, the morning and evening supplications, and I've translated it. So if, uh, if this is something which the Prophet needs to do all the time, and some of those supplications are worth so much reward that it's uh, beggars belief that people actually forego this on a day-to-day basis. It beggars belief, really, to be honest with you. So that's the second thing. The third thing is I try to do lifting weights about three to four times a week. Let's say three times a week, a three-day split. You know, uh, I try to do that. Obviously, I've got my ilm that I do. So on a certain selected days, I study Islam. And I study, I've got about four or five very close teachers which I study with them. You know, I study uh, Bukhari on certain days. And to be honest with you, Bukhari, we're going for a Sharh called Sharh al-Qastalani which will take about seven years to complete. We've done about 10% of it. You know, we go through other books. We've got other teachers. That takes up a lot of my time. You know, I, we go through fiqh, fiqh hanbali, and that takes up a lot of my time. You know, going through other mawad, uh, other things. This is like, I feel a great sense of, of, of achievement and happiness, contentment, when I'm going through these uh, particular Islamic fields because it is the, the shara, it is the holy muqaddas, uh, knowledge it's not just any knowledge i've studied a lot of other things and to be honest with you it's, it's like nonsense sorry to say most of it i study and i am not interested in it really what i'm interested in is the quran really what i'm interested in is what the prophet said if i just go through three hadiths that i've never heard before it makes my day because there's something is imagine you're you're you're, you're being communicated with by the prophet muhammad the messenger of allah and there's new information that he hasn't that you haven't heard him say that you hear him say going through the hadith very important. And so every day I actually I do with my kids, I do about 20 to 30 minutes of Arabic as well, Arabic lesson. And, you know, they get, they're starting to, because I also try and give back to the, my, my kids and my family and stuff like that. And I've also got like, uh, do lessons with other people in my family some, from, from time to time, but I'm trying to focus on the children a little bit more and take them swimming once a week, do, you know, they're starting to do BJJ now. They've been doing it for a long time. Uh, play fight, rough and, t- what's it called? Rough and tumble play or whatever. I do a lot of that with them you know so there's a family time i do a lot of family time stuff you know uh obviously we've got uh, filming uh, we come and we, we've got filming about three times a week i've got a teaching which we do about two to three times a week so that's uh that's basically it i can I, I try and break it down and when i was doing martial arts i would do that i try and do that four times maybe five times a week depending on the week mm. uh, so that's basically uh, uh really it and uh, i try and break it down and change it up but then, obviously, the schedule starts building up, and I do what I need to do. But the staple things that I do on a day-to-day basis, which wherever I may be in the world, I will do, is the Quran. It is the Azkar. It is the um, it, it is the Muhasabat al-Nafs or the accountability, self-accountability. It is something something to do with the body, some exercise, something like that, you know, and so on. Mashallah. I, I definitely have more questions, but I want to open the floor up to the other two brothers here, just in case they have anything else they want to add. Alhamdulillah. There's one thing on my mind right now. What are your advice to fathers? Well, you know, to be honest with you, you know, it's, it's easy for a man to be distracted from his children. I think sometimes we just have these tendencies. It's difficult. So what I do, as someone who has a proclivity towards to, to distraction, is I, I put things, I, I systemat, systematize things, I schedule things, I, I try and make things into a routine. So my, my thing is, with your children, first of all, you, you can spend years and years and years of having children and then not, not giving them like their, their rights. So the way out of that is to system to have a routine with the children, a daily routine, a weekly routine. My routine with the children, as I mentioned, I've got the Arabic lessons I do with them. I've got like the kind of rough and tumble play. I take them swimming once a week. You know, uh, I take them out. Sometimes I take them out, but that's less often. you got to do things like that. you got to put that in because if you don't, then you won't have that influence on your ch- child. They will not be attached to you. you will, and by the way, it's really, it's, it's very important to note that you spending time with your kids is not a favor to them. It's a favor to yourself because in fact, what it does is it activates endorphins in your body and it does things for you from a mental health perspective, which elevates your state. So if you try and eliminate that part of your life, you are only doing that to your own discredit and disfavor. 
so my, my point is sometimes we can be selfish as fathers, but if you are of that type, you have to systematize, systematize things. You have to schedule things. You have to make things routine. And, uh, and that is in your favor because at the end of the day, it's one of the greatest uh, adornments of the dunya. Al-malu al-banun, zinatul hayat al-dunya. As the Quran states, you know, that children and wealth are the adornment of this life. If you mm-hmm. can't even make use of that, then it's, the problem is with you. Uh, you know, you, you're only harming yourself. Alhamdulillah. My last question is, what are some things that you see men lack like today? I feel like, well, in, in the Muslim community, in, in the West, we have to be more specific. Uh, Muslim men. In the West or where? In what country? In what, in what yeah, province? In the West. Muslim in the West. Right. So I, I think that, you know, obviously there are issues to do with Westernization. There's issues to do with the ideological subversion that's happened and takeover and, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. Especially in America. Unfortunately, I've been to Canada, as you know, many times. I've, I've, I think I've seen you around me in person, haven't I? Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. So I've been to Canada many times. I've been to America many times. And I, I differentiate. There's parts of America, like Philadelphia, like New York, where people, especially the black community, because a lot of them are already used to being against the dominant community, you know, being mavericks in that sense, in regards to civil rights and so on, that don't really have a problem with the rules of Islam. But unfortunately, especially within, you know, subcontinental and Arab uh, Muslims, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of them, there's, there's a tendency to try and bow the knee to the dominant culture. And I think that is one of the biggest problems. As a result of it, we're seeing more egalitarian discourse. We're seeing more, more divorce. Statistically, American Muslims are almost on par in divorce rates with the dominant population. And the reason why that is, is because they are unable to have stable families because they no longer believe in hierarchies. They no, no longer believe that a man should be the man of the house and they should have the final say on a man, managerial capacity. As a result of that, what we're seeing is the disintegration of family, destabilizing uh, of such families, and we're seeing divorce. And, and we are just becoming part of the fabric. You know, it actually angers me to see that we are letting this kind of narrative take place. And because what it is, I feel like, especially in Western discourses, you have like the right wing, uh, are very much anti-Muslim in sentiment, many of them, not all of them, but many of them are anti-Muslim in sentiment, but the, the left wing can be very much anti-Islam, but the way in which they will try and influence Muslims is through micro-liberalism, micro-feminism, you know, um, uh, you know, this kind of an approach where it's, yeah, you're, it's a so-called tolerant approach, which is actually a very subversive approach, but unfortunately, the naive amongst us and the weakest amongst us will fall prey to this kind of thing. Men will not stand their ground. And you'll have co- entire communities of people bowing the knee to the dominant culture in the name of maslaha, in the name of like, you know, uh, uh, you know a master of talaq, a master of um, sharia, which is called maslaha, which they've taken to a completely like unusual level. And they've made the religion into something almost completely distinct. A, a diluted religion, a, a different religion. Uh, and so I think this is one of the biggest problems because they have allowed the Western narratives, enlightenment narratives, to define gender roles, especially, but not, not uh, limited to the feminist, second-wave feministic discourse. Men have now, they're rented, rendered impotent in the family environment to be able to put their foot down mm-hmm. and they can't even do, uh, they can't even do the basics in telling their daughters, you know, this is wrong to wear this, or this is don't flirt with this guy. don't have these extramarital relationships. So w- what we're seeing is the emasculation, emasculation of men wholesale in the Muslim community. Uh, this is less so the case, I think in Britain, but because British Muslims are working class, but a lot of, a lot of a lot. This is a correlation, correlative thing. It's not necessarily causative, but many of the uh, communities, which Muslim communities in the West, which opt to this kind of uh, narrative, are middle class Muslims. And the reason why or middle class meaning, you know, I think you guys call it something else, upper class or something in America. But middle class are the higher echelons, people of higher socioeconomic order, because it's in their interest to stay with the egalitarian line, not the complementarian traditionalist line. Because if they go against the egalitarian line, it will have severe consequences in their work environment and they will lose money. So a lot of people are just because they know if they speak in a manner 
which goes against the man or the establishment or the dominant ideology that they may be demoted or otherwise fired or otherwise not being given the opportunities that others have, they tend towards a version of, if I want to call it that, diluted uh, amalgam synthetic religion, really that's what it is, which is a new religion that they have concocted, which is Islamo-liberalism of the American uh, 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 kind. And so because of that, I think men have become, uh, they accept things which in, in the history of Islamic uh, civilization would never be acceptable at all. And so the, the only way, unfortunately, is that this can really be, uh, there's two ways. Either theoretically the people will, will, will through da'wah, accept uh, the, the call back to Islam and to come back to the kitab and the sunnah, or that, that it has to be experiential. Because when all, when all else fails, life has the, uh, teaches the best lessons. SubhanAllah. Well, I wish this could go on for, for a lot longer, but uh, unfortunately, I think we're out of time here. Uh, so that being said, Jazakallah khair, Brother Muhammad Hijab. May Allah bless you immensely and pabarakah on all the work that you do. Allahumma ameen. It was a pleasure having you on. I can say that you know very firmly about myself and probably about the other two brothers as well. Uh, so may Allah put work on your work and bless you immensely. Allahumma ameen. Thanks so much for having me. And obviously, uh, uh, you know, all brothers in the religion and helping each other out. And if there's anything you need from me, let me know, inshallah. Inshallah, habibi. And likewise, jazakallah khair. And with that being said, Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa kina adab nar. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum. I think there's another thing too. It's It's the perseverance aspect too. Like, we're more willing to stick through with things that we set out with an intention. It's impossible to have empathy for others if you're not patient. So my love, bless you for that. First of all, I agree with the fact that the whole thing you said about friends, where it's like, if, if they're affecting you more than you're affecting them, then you should probably get some new friends. You want to be investing stocks, shares, bonds. You want to be investing in crypto because there's this thing called inflation, which means every year that passes by, the value of a dollar goes lower and lower and lower. And the reason being is because they're printing more money, right? That's why money is haram. At least the paper money is haram. Provided that you're actually there and you're being a good father and the mother's being a good mother, best conditions. And behind the mic, Hamza, Andreas, Zortzis, we will go in with our final three with brother Anhel, inshallah. It's not just a responsibility on you, it's a responsibility on all the children, especially your father. In our private area is very elastic. And yeah, if you go too fast, the skin will literally crease up into like the edge of like the little clipper things and you will literally clip your skin. You don't want to be on YouTube or the internet or anything that, that amount of time, but it's, it's the, the fact is that's what we're doing.